You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog, and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander's up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. Welcome to Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Why let sleeping dogs lie when you can take the bull by the horns and let the fur fly? So get your claws out and get ready to rattle some cages on Pet Peeves with your host, pet expert, and award-winning author, Amy Shojai. Hey there, and welcome to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Amy Shojai, and today we're continuing our talk about the cost of furry love. And here's my rant of the week. Now, I remember the days when an office exam for a well-pet ran, oh, about $25. And listen, folks, I'm not that old. Today, we're lucky to leave the vet office with our wallets only $100 lighter. Now, nobody complains when state-of-the-art medical treatment saves a pet's life. But to be fair, people can't fund their own health insurance these days, let alone treatment for Max or Sheba. Yet being a responsible pet parent requires us to provide proper health care. So these days, pet lovers are facing some hard choices. Has keeping dogs and cats become a luxury, available only to the wealthy? Well, I hope my guest today will shed some light on this topic. Jim Flanagan is the Director of Marketing for the American Veterinary Medical Association, where he oversees the AVMA's promotional, branding, and strategic marketing initiatives. He also produces market and economic research for the veterinary profession, including surveys of veterinary salaries and the cost of veterinary education. So, folks, plant your furry tails, and we'll be right back with Jim Flanagan after these messages. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Pets can be a wonderful addition to your life. Because they're a member of the family, keeping them healthy and happy is important. Pet Life Radio presents The Pet Doctor with veterinary media consultant and veterinarian Dr. Bernadine Cruz. Whether you have a dog, cat, reptile, or rabbit, you'll find answers for your pets straight from the vets. On demand every week, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Pets are part of the family, and when traveling with your dog, there's only one magazine to include when packing your doggy's duffel bag, and that's Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Each bi-monthly issue includes hotel, city and state reviews, and doggy destinations to explore with your furry companion. Fido Friendly magazine can be found at Borders, Barnes & Noble, PetSmart, Pet Boutiques, and Fido Friendly hotels nationwide. Or you can go online to subscribe at www.fidofriendly.com. So get traveling with your pet today and leave no dog behind. And remember, Fido Friendly's the only magazine dedicated to the travel lifestyle of man's best friend and the one magazine your dog will thank you for. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Hey, 
We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. Welcome back to Pet Peeves on Pet Life Radio. And please, welcome Jim Flanagan, a veterinary marketing expert with some insider information on our topic. He spoke recently in February at the Catalyst Summit, which was hosted by the American Association of Feline Practitioners. Welcome to the show, Jim. Thanks, Amy. I'm glad to be here. Well, before we get down to the nitty-gritty, I want to ask a little bit about you. What dogs and cats do you share your home with? Uh, My wife and I and our two sons have two cats, uh, Chloe and Soling. They are litter mates. They're sisters. Uh, And they came to us from a rescue group here in Chicago, uh, where we live. Um, They're uh, I think they're about seven or eight years old, and it's amazing to me that uh, the way each one of those cats bonds differently to either one of my two sons. One sleeps with huh. each one of the each one of the boys. Oh, so they they have their their pick of the litter there too. Yes, they do. <laughs> well, I wanted to. Uh, what was fascinating to me about your presentation at uh, Catalyst was you talked a lot about information provided in the source book, and I'm not going. I'll let you give the full title of that. But this this book is published by the AVMA, and how often is it published? And and it's based on surveys that has all kinds of demographic information. The AVMA has been producing the U.S. Pet Ownership and Demographic Source Book since the early 1980s. Uh, the first source book was published in 1983, and then every four or five years since then, we've produced a follow-up study. It is a very broad study. 48,000 households take part in oh, the study, wow. which compared to, you know, in the midst of a presidential election, many of the polls that are taken have only about a three or 400 households. So very large sample of, of households. The data we find um, is used by the United States Department of the Census in the statistical abstract of the United States. So for all intents and purposes, the AVMA conducts a pet census of the United States every five years. Boy, that's that's pretty impressive. Now, I, I know that something that was of particular interest to us at this um, summit was that the source book surveys indicated that veterinary visits for pets is going down, that 17% of dogs and 36% of cats did not see a veterinarian in 2006. Why, why is this, do you think? If we really compare uh, dogs and cats and, and focus in particular on cats, uh, in, in that 19 percentage point difference, what it seems to be is that we could divide that 19 percentage points into five or even 10 different factors that lead to that difference. And those factors would range from everything from um, the difference in how we're bonded to our cats versus how we're bonded to our dogs, uh, to the kind of people who tend to own cats and their household incomes and ability to pay for care, to just the sheer number of animals that cats tend to live in households with larger numbers of dogs and cats than dogs who many times uh, live alone. So those and a number of other factors probably contribute to the difference in uh, veterinary care that dogs and cats receive in the United States. We don't. We certainly don't want to forget dogs. The fact that 17% of dogs didn't see a veterinarian at all last year is also of concern. But I think the reason we were all coming together at the Catalyst Summit was because of that 19 percentage point difference for cats. 
is this across the board for basic care or is it uh, they are coming in for their annual dental care or the extraordinary care or this is because I thought I thought of correct me if I'm wrong but I thought you said that the well pet visits or the exams actually were up I, I think what we're seeing is particularly in cats the vaccination protocols the the, the changes in uh, how veterinarians are vaccinating pets is disproportionately affecting cats yes the the, the number of pet owners who had a physical exam um, at their last visit has been consistently climbing. That's not to suggest that veterinarians were not doing physical exams before. What it does tell us, though, is that veterinarians are doing a better job of communicating with their clients and describing to them that they're actually doing a physical exam. Many times um, when a client and their pet goes in to see a veterinarian, um, the veterinarian is petting the animal and, and interacting with the animal. Um, and really what the veterinarian is doing is performing a physical examination on the patient. So, Oh, and the owner just doesn't recognize that. Exactly. And, and the veterinarians are doing a much better job of describing what it is that they're doing. The, the veterinarians are being taught by the veterinary schools, and that's an important part of the client interaction is to actually describe when they are checking the, the animal's teeth or checking its uh, ribs um, or checking for uh, maybe that the pet might be overweight. Uh, and so, yes, that, that number has consistently climbed for both dogs and cats. What we saw since 2001 when we did the last survey is that the percentage of cat-owning households in particular that had a vaccination at their last visit dropped a few percentage points. Um, and that might be a good thing. Um, the veterinary profession uh, is moving towards uh, fewer vaccinations for pets uh, and really taking a serious look at um, vaccinating just for those things that the pet needs based on an individual risk profile. So, that's so the cat thing. owners may actually be listening to their veterinary guidelines. They're not really shirking their duties. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And it, those are joint decisions that are being made by the veterinarian and the, and the client, which is exactly what should be happening. And nobody wants to be over-vaccinating pets. Um, we want to make sure that uh, when veterinarians are vaccinating, that they're vaccinating appropriately. And, and those are discussions that clearly are happening. Unfortunately, um, without that vaccination as a, a trigger for the visit, what's happening is there's not anything filling that void to inform pet owners that really doing regular physical exams and visiting the veterinarian on a regular basis is important because we all recognize that dogs and cats age faster than human beings. And if we take the old seven years for every one human year, um, if you were to go three years between visits to your physician, that would be 20 years and nobody would suggest that for a human being. Uh, so what we're trying to do is find a way uh, to make sure that pet owners understand that going to a veterinarian for something other than a vaccination is what we hopefully are going to be moving towards in the future. Well, I know that in the old days when I worked as a vet tech, major portion of our repeat business focused on flea products. You know, and today, pet owners have this host of, of much safer, more effective, and over-the-counter products that are available. So that's a major economic hit to the veterinarian's wallet, too, is it not? Certainly, we can see over time from 1987 to 2006, the percentage of owners who, uh, for both dogs and cats, uh, who were getting drug products at their veterinarian has dropped considerably. 
for dogs in, in particular, it was about 42% in 1987, and that's down below 30% in 2006. Wow. Um, the veterinary profession is evolving, though, uh, where that might have been seen as a profit center in years past. Uh, veterinarians are um, reducing their reliance on drug sales as, as a profit center for the practices. And is, that's appropriate because really the value that the veterinarian brings to the relationship between the client and the pet and the veterinarian is the, the knowledge and skills uh, that they've gained through practice and education to recognize whether um, an animal has a disease uh, or to prevent disease. Uh, it's really not in the sales of products. Veterinarians are not trained in sales. They're not salesmen and saleswomen. Um, and so what they're trained in is being doctors, and, and that's what things like examinations uh, and appropriate testing will help them determine the best course of action for, for pets and their owners. Well, what about the, uh, the cost of the care? Uh, I'm assuming that with inflation, cost has gone up. What has been the percentage of increase over the past decade just for the basic cost care? Well, the AVMA doesn't look at specific cost, but what we do look at is what people spend. So we're looking at one end of the equation. Um, for dogs, from 1996 to 2006, the total spent on veterinary care for dogs has increased from $7 billion in 1996 to more than $16 billion last year in 2006. So for the typical dog-owning household, they spent about $356. Uh, which is 90% more than they would have spent in 1996. But for cat-owning households, the amount spent for cats has risen from only $4 billion in 1996 to just over $7 billion in 2006. For a typical cat-owning household, they only spent $191 on veterinary care in 2006, which is an increase of just 29% since over the last decade. Uh, and for an individual cat, uh, both in 1996 and 2006, the spending was almost exactly $81. So uh, even if you were to account for inflation, the spending on a per cat basis has actually gone down. Wow. It can't be that people love their cats any less than their dogs. Well, why, is, why is this? I mean, we know, we know that the vaccines are not getting them into the office as often, but is it more than that? Well, you know, I think... Uh, there's certainly dog people and cat people, um, but it would be unfair to say that people love their cats any less than they love their dogs. I certainly know in my case, um, our two cats are, are valuable members of our family. So I, I don't think that it's fair to say that, but it would be fair to say that people are bonded differently with their cats. That can take a whole many dimensions and might help incrementally add up to where this 19 percentage point difference in veterinary care um, comes in. We know that when we were asking pet owners to describe the relationship they had with their pets, about 50% of dog owners described the relationship with their dog as being like a family member, compared to 39% who described it as being a pet or companion. Those numbers shift when we talk about cat owners. About 41% of cat owners describe their relationship with their cat as being like that of a family member whereas 47% of cat owners describe that relationship as being like a pet or companion. It's not as dramatic as what one might think. Um, I, I imagine most people, if you were to ask them to guess that relationship, that it might be greater a greater difference between dog and cat owners. In fact, when we look at specific age groups, 
people who are 19 to 29 describe their relationship with their dog and their cat virtually the same statistically. Um, and there's greater differences at younger age groups and older age groups. So there's an 8 percentage point difference among those under 18 and a 7 percentage point difference among those over the age of 65. So when we really look at that relationship, it's not monolithic. It's not just that people love their dogs or their cats more. Um, it also is, has to do with how we interact with those pets. Um, in a separate study that we did uh, that's actually being published right now in the Journal of the American Veterinary Medical Association, um, we asked pet owners to identify um, how they interact with their dogs and their cats. Uh, and by a very wide margin, four or five times, people identify their, their dog as having spending more time with them, being more affectionate, and having the children more attached to that dog. Whereas for cats, generally they've been around the household longer or they're the one, the cat is the one that is, that is identified as that person's pet or they're, they're really bonded to it. One other way to describe this difference in bond is where the cats and dogs sleep. Dogs are far more likely to sleep in the bedroom than cats are uh, or in kennels and crates. When we asked where do cats sleep, by a three-to-one margin, they sleep wherever they want. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) Okay, well, uh, on that note, I think uh, we were going to take a break and we'll continue our conversation with Jim Flanagan after these messages from our sponsors. Okay, time to call off the dogs. Pet Peeves will be back with more biting topics right after we kibble a little with our sponsors. Want to know what cats like to eat for breakfast? Mice Krispies, of course. Learn everything there is to know about cats on Catitude with your host, Tom Doc. Each week, we'll spotlight a cool cat breed, give up-to-date advice on cat health, and check out spiffy new cat products. So curl up on the couch every week for a perfectly enjoyable time on Catitude. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Pet Planet. Here's a copy of Pet Planet Magazine, Florida's most informative and fun pet resource magazine. It features heartwarming stories and informative articles from local and national pet experts. Excellent. Pet Planet Magazine offers Operation Planet Rescue, helping rescued pets find new homes. And it's available at 500 locations in South and Central Florida and 24-7 on the Internet at PetPlanetMagazine.com. If you're out and about with your pet, you may be featured in Paparazzi, Candid Pictures of You and Your Pet. For up-to-date pet-friendly events, activities, and pet-related services and products, Pet Planet Magazine is your final destination. I shall take this magazine home with me. Back to your home planet? No, to my condo in Boca. Pet Planet Magazine. Check them out at www.petplanetmagazine.com or 352-394-8578. It's out of this world. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. (laughs) 
We know you're foaming at the mouth to get back to pet peeves. So here's Amy with some more tail-tying, fur-flying fun. We're back and again speaking with Jim Flanagan, the marketing director of the AVMA. Uh, The AVMA is composed of 76,000 members and about 85% of the active veterinarians in the United States. The AVMA accredits the 28 vet schools in the U.S., provides advocacy for the veterinary profession, and strives to ensure that there are enough veterinarians to do the job and that they can financially afford to do the job. The AVMA advocates for veterinarians and, of course, veterinarians advocate for our cats and dogs and other animals. Welcome back, Jim. And I I thought it was interesting that you mentioned that people age 65 and older have what was characterized as the least amount of bonding to their pet. Is that a reflection of how perhaps they grew up perceiving animals as property compared to today's owners who consider them to be family members or even a child? It certainly could be that. Um, It will be interesting to watch this age group or younger age groups as they age, whether or not this is a generational issue as you just described or whether this is an age issue. Um, As people age, they gain more acquaintances, they gain more family members, their family grows with children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, uh, and so there might be some, I, some of this might be related to simply the size of the family. When we looked at um, current bond of owners, um, the number of people in the family uh, inversely correlates with the bond. So in other words, Um, The more people in the house, the less likely they are to be bonded with the pets. And it might be just that there's more people around. That's one of the issues that we're trying to look into with cats. Cats tend to live in households with a lot more animals. Uh, They're more likely to be living with a dog. Dogs oftentimes will be living in a one-dog house. And those who own cats own more cats than people who own dogs. So An average household owns about 1.7 dogs, but an average cat-owning household owns 2.2 cats. And so when you've got maybe a a finite pool of love to give to family members and pets, it might be that that finite pool is being divided among many people. So it'll be interesting to see when we do the next source book as the, the next generation of, in this case, baby boomers reaches the age of 65 and become senior citizens, whether they carry their bond with their pets with them into maturity or whether or not as they age that they'll see a falling off in that human-animal bond. It really begs an interesting question about, you know, if you are a human parent and you have two children or you have six children, do you have less love for the six than you do for the two? And I think the same might uh, apply to pets if you have six pets or you have two pets. Uh, Perhaps the time available to spend special attention on them is finite but I you know I can't I really can't buy the the premise that we have less love available to dole around if we have more pets sure I as a father of two children I uh, after my first child was born um, I, I couldn't imagine having more love for another human being and when the second one was born I thought well how is that going to be divided up? And it never is. Um, it, it's just a matter of, I think you're right, spending time uh, with those other beings. Um, and, and that spending time together does impact uh, veterinary care. Uh, we know 
from this survey that's published in, in JAVMA this month that the average dog owner spends about 46 hours per week with their dog, whereas the cat, average cat owner's owner spends only about 33 hours per week with that cat. And that might be one of the other factors that's leading to this difference in veterinary care is that cat owners simply aren't aware because they're not around their pet as much of any health issues that might be arising there. Cats in particular have the ability to hide illness um, in ways that dogs may not be able to hide it. Uh, and, And so that might be one other contributing factor. Well, and I think also there is a perception there that we need to overcome with, with uh, I, I talked to my um, clients uh, about the cat may, just by spending time in the room with you, with his back turned to you and across the room, that may be very a very close association for the cat. Dogs are more in our face. So I think maybe some cat owners don't recognize or realize that they are spending more time with a cat than, than they are even aware Sure, and uh, cats oftentimes come across as being quite independent, which is one of the wonderful things about owning a cat. Uh, But at the same time, that might be one of the personality traits of cats that's working against them. Uh, Their owners don't understand that um, those cats, while being fairly independent, independence doesn't mean independence from veterinary care or proper nutrition or or love and care that that they as pet owners want to want to provide to them. Um, and that might be one of the issues moving forward that we need to make sure we educate pet owners about is just because cats are independent and, and we love them for their independence doesn't mean that they need to be independent of our interaction with them. Right. And, and I think it depends on the cat too. Some of them are, you know, pet me, pet me, pet me all the time too. And, <laughs> and people would say, I wish my cat were more independent when they really is not. I wanted to ask you also about pet insurance and why is pet insurance not recommended as as often as maybe it should be? That To me, I would think that would be a really good benefit for pet owners that are feeling issues about funding. One of the things that's arisen from this um, pet demographic source book is a real reexamination by the veterinary profession about the appropriate role of veterinary pet insurance in in the overall makeup of how pet owners pay for care. Um, There has always been a major concern on the part of veterinarians, and and this comes out in various surveys we have of veterinarians, that their clients are are having to make very difficult decisions based on price, not on whether or not um, it's appropriate for the, the care for the pet. So there might be a family who loves very much a dog or cat that has a chronic condition, but because of the cost, they may not be able to pursue the full course of treatment for that pet. And that, that for a veterinarian, um, is, is a terrible position to be in. They want to care for that pet and make sure that bond with that family is maintained. So the profession certainly is looking at insurance as one way to ensure that those difficult decisions uh, are made in light of what's in the best interest of the pet not necessarily because of of cost. I think one of the reasons why insurance hasn't caught on um, comes out in our survey in that for most people, the cost to care for those pets, the majority of people, it's it's a fairly small amount of money. Uh, So in in the case of cats, one-third of the people are spending nothing. And 
really the, the people who are taking advantage of pet insurance are those spending hundreds and hundreds of dollars on the care of their pets, which for the most part represents a small minority of all the pet owners. I think what you might see happen in the future is pet insurance might evolve to meet this new wellness uh, focus of veterinary medicine. Right now, pet insurance pays mostly for illness, uh, for major illnesses or uh, Catastrophic things, right. Yeah. Um, it, insurance isn't set up to essentially pay HMO-style benefits for wellness to maintain the health of a pet as opposed to pay for disease. And, and that might be one evolution that you're about to see. And if that happens, I think you might see a lot of pet owners and a lot of veterinarians um, more interested in recommending or buying those kinds of products. Well, I think right now also, uh, because pet owners still need to fund that uh, health care up front and then be reimbursed, that's also an issue because they simply may not have the funds up front. So I know that veterinary clinics just cannot be, they can't afford to be, they aren't set up to be a charity resource. But is there any kind of initiative that AVMA might be able to push as far as creating uh, or recommending some sort of flexible payment plans for these strapped for cash owners that I would think that would also help the veterinarian as far as thinking, you know, I don't want my clients. I know them. I love their pets. We've developed a relationship. I don't want them to have to make these hard choices, put my pet to sleep because I can't afford to, to take care of him. I think what you're seeing in most cases where um, veterinarians are faced with those choices that typically veterinarians are simply foregoing payment uh, from their clients. Uh, one of the unfortunate issues facing veterinary medicine today is incomes that are really a fraction of what other healthcare providers make. Um, and this is at a time when veterinarians, the educational debt for veterinarians is um, exceeding $100,000 when they graduate. Uh, the, the that was my next year, question. Yeah. Last year's new veterinary graduates on average had $107,000 in educational debt when they came out of school, which is almost twice what their starting salary is when they come out of school. Veterinarians have, relative to other healthcare professions, low incomes. Um, and I think that's because the greatest strength of the veterinary profession is, in fact, its greatest weakness. Veterinarians go into their chosen profession because of extraordinary empathy and caring. Um, and in order for them to communicate with their clients who can't talk, veterinarians need to have this innate ability to sense from those animals what their needs are. That same empathy um, also translates to clients, and veterinarians want to do what's best. And what we find is that veterinarians end up writing off extraordinary amounts uh, of care that they provide uh, to their clients because they understand that, that that relationship between a pet and a human being is very important, and veterinarians don't want to stand in the way of, of maintaining those. So what's happening, what you just discussed, what you've suggested, is actually happening on, on an informal basis. One of the wonderful things about uh, coming together at some something like Catalyst is you have very diverse viewpoints coming together, and I thought there were some extraordinary ideas that arose from some of the small groups we were working in around 
asking corporations to create flexible spending accounts uh, or cafeteria plans for their employees to put money aside for pet care uh, pre-tax, looking to corporations to offer that as a benefit. We know that most households in the United States have pets uh, and in an environment where corporations are trying to attract the best and brightest talent. Boy, what a great differentiating benefit uh, pet health care would be as a benefit to those people. And there are probably other ideas as well. Uh, the AVMA uh, really enjoyed having an opportunity to interact with these other partners um, in the animal health and, and veterinary communities. And, and so I think as those ideas start to percolate up or out to the various groups, I think you might see the veterinary community try to push some of those initiatives forward. Well, I do hope so. And the catalyst, uh, just for listeners tuning in that did not listen to our first uh, show, the catalyst initiative was a group of, oh, there must have been 50 different individuals representing a host of of animal care providers, animal welfare advocates all across the board to brainstorm ideas about uh, giving cats a boost as far as uh, – how they're perceived by the public and by the veterinary community, by uh, the world at large. And uh, I think we were very fortunate to be able to brainstorm that and and come out of that with uh, such a great uh, boost to cats. And, of course, it's going to translate somewhat to dogs as well. I wanted to touch a little bit also, I I saw in the news that uh, Dr. Gregory Hammer, who is the president of the AVMA, uh, recently testified before a congressional subcommittee on February 7th about the issue of the supply of veterinarians possibly starting to uh, fall short. Are we are we looking at a shortfall in veterinarians? Is that going to impact the price or our care? It very well may. Of, of course, um, a lot of veterinarians in the United States don't care for companion animals. They care for food animals or they ensure the health of the public through um, serving as epidemiologists at the Center for Disease Control or as regulators with the USDA and making sure that our food supply is safe. Um, And there's a growing concern among the veterinary profession that we simply don't have enough veterinarians in those those positions. Uh, On average, uh, our food animal veterinarians are significantly older than our companion animal veterinarians, and uh, many of them are approaching retirement, and they're finding it difficult to attract young veterinarians to take over those practices, especially in rural areas. Now, what was originally thought of as a shortage only in food supply medicine, which is encompassing veterinarians who work every place from field to fork, as we say, what is becoming clear is that the shortage may actually be a rural veterinary shortage because when we compare the information from the pet demographic source book and the concentrations of companion animals in various states to the number of veterinarians in those states who work with companion animals, we see similar patterns to the shortage. So in the area running right down the center of the country, uh, from Wyoming all the way down to Texas and then east right across the Mason-Dixon line into West Virginia, we see that there's very large concentrations of companion animals to veterinarians. And those are typically states that have large rural communities. So the AVMA is working on two initiatives in Congress. 
Uh, one is called the Veterinary Public Health Workforce Expansion Act, which would allow um, the federal government to make competitive grants to the existing 28 veterinary schools in the United States for them to expand their capacity to graduate veterinarians, which is the simplest and uh, lowest cost way for them to address that problem. And then we're also uh, working on uh, the Veterinary Medical Services Act, uh, which is actually has been passed into law, and Congress has provided a small $5 million start for the USDA to provide uh, loan forgiveness. Remember all those students with $107,000 oh, in debt? Um, the USDA will provide loan forgiveness programs to veterinarians, young veterinarians who are willing to go work in underserved areas, especially rural areas in the United States. So, yes, Dr. Hammer is... Uh, working very hard. He's made this the centerpiece of his year-long presidency, which will extend to this July. Great. Well, it, it sounds like there's a lot of things uh, pending for the improved health care of our companion animals and, and our, our uh, veterinary care across the board. So I'm very encouraged there. And I know that most people do love their pets, or they they wouldn't share their homes and their hearts with them in the first place, and they want to provide good care. Most are willing to go the extra mile. So it comes down to trust, wouldn't you say? I mean, if, if you have a pet doctor you, that you know has your best interest in mind and the best interest of your pets, value means more than cost every time, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely. And that trust extends to something we call compliance, which is a it's more than just the veterinarian make, making a recommendation to uh, perform a certain procedure, uh, have a certain protocol for chronic condition, uh, or to take a certain action on um, parasite control. It's important that that get translated to the client appropriately so that the, the client follows through. And we know that that trust and the, that communication between the client and the veterinarian is the cru- crucial element to making sure that compliance for pets happens. Uh, so you are absolutely right. This is, this is really not as we see it as an issue of, of price or spending because uh, even overall, veterinary care, you know, that $24 billion seems like a lot. But I believe that's just about what was spent on gift cards during the Christmas season here in the United States. So in, in relation to some of the other things we spend money on, whether it's Starbucks coffee, uh, or other things that some people might view as luxuries. Uh, veterinary care really isn't a luxury, and, and the, the profession's aware of that and is aware of what role they need to take uh, to make sure that clients understand that there's value there and importance in following the veterinarian's recommendations. Great. Well, I, we are out of time, but I would like to thank Jim Flanagan and the producers for making Pet Peeves possible. Now, I dare you to join me next week on Pet Life Radio for the next installment of Pet Peeves. Email me suggestions or post a note to my blog by dialing up PetLifeRadio.com and clicking on the Pet Peeves logo. You can get transcripts that way as well. Woofs and purrs until next time. And remember, keep your pets happy and healthy. Don't get hissed off and go away mad. Instead, search out a veterinarian you value and who values you as a partner in your pet's care. Keep them healthy or they'll get peeved. That's it. You're madder than a junkyard dog and you're not going to take it anymore. Your feathers are ruffled, your dander is up, and you've got a definite bone to pick. 
Join us each week on Pet Peeves, the show that lets you dig through the dirt and unleash your passion for pets. Your host, pet expert and award-winning author, Amy Shojai, will talk about what makes you howl and what hisses you off. Pet Peeves, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.